If you look around and you, uh, you know, look for a movie on Esther, you're going to find at least half a dozen, maybe more. And you're going to find some are really good and some aren't that good, but you can find them. So Esther's memory, Esther's story lives on. And, and we as Americans love stories. That's one reason um, every weekend, if you uh, track these kinds of things, Americans spend tens of millions of dollars going to the movies because they want to be entertained, they want to be touched by a good story. And so Esther is that kind of good story. It has all the components of a, of a good story. There's a villain, there's the uh, person that uh, needs to be rescued, there's tragedy, there's bad guys, good guys, uh, romance and theory, uh, beautiful people, and uh, even some PG-13 stuff, if you're into that. And then there's even at the end a Hollywood ending, if you will, if you've read to the end. So there's all the components there uh, for a good story. And the part that we talk about Esther and the unseen sovereign is, as you read through Esther, you're not going to really see God referred to. So what does that mean? Does that mean God is not a part of that? Well, you say, well, this book is in the Bible. So what does that mean? And it means that behind the scenes, God is on the move. And even in our own life, sometimes as we think about our story, it feels like God is just not there. But he is there. Uh, sometimes I've talked with folks that uh, maybe didn't really say yes to Jesus till later on in life. And as they reflect on their life, they say, you know, in my teenage years, even elementary school years, I now can see that God was there, the way life unfolded. And the same is true with Esther. So we can learn a lot about that. Now, one of the things that uh, happens in chapter 3 today that we're going to talk about is it really uh, is an expression of something we've grown sadly accustomed to in our world. And there's this idea of this cancel culture, something that uh, uh, society doesn't like. Uh, sometimes it's very right that something's gone on and, and those attitudes, those ideas should be canceled. But, but then there are some other things that are just really someone's opinion and different perspective and there's no right or wrong but they don't like it so there's this cancel culture um, our definition we're working off is this is cancel culture is the modern and social attitude that controversial speech or behavior must be punished must be punished how through public shaming silencing boycotting firing bankrupting deplatforming etc the result is that that offender's influence, presence, and or reputation is canceled out. And so we see this happening more and more and more. And we see people with influence and power being able to do this. Uh, we see this kind of up coming out of uh, the idea of political correctness, which is the attempt to minimize social and institutional offenses through policing speech. And if it's speech, that therefore thought, forcing certain words not to be used and other words to be used. And then there's this idea of postmodernism. And the viewpoint from this is uh, that may be true for you. And all of these ideas get into the mix when it comes to canceling somebody out or this cancel culture that we see happening time and time again. And uh, we see celebrities who seem to have values that uh, don't align with the majority of the values, and those folks seem to be not hired, not doing movies, or canceled out. 
Uh, it reminds me of Chris Pat. And when I mention celebrities, whoever they may be, or politicians, that's not an endorsement of what they're all about. It's just an example. So in all of our lives, if I pulled you up here and said his example, or you pulled me up, there would be parts that you wouldn't want to own in my life, and I wouldn't want to own in your life. So it's not highlighting that, but it's as an example. So this is Chris Pat getting an award. Um, he has nine principles he wants to share with his audience. Uh, this is the Generations Award. This is from MTV a few years ago. And he shares these nine things. I'm going to share them with you in just a moment. But I want you to realize I don't share all of them because a lot of in between he does these basically bathroom humor stories that, you know, not many of us would like to listen to. But the points that he brings out, every other point or so, uh, are really powerful. And it demonstrates some of this uh, cancel culture or what culture would like to do when we say things like this. This is what I call nine rules from Chris Pratt, Generation Award winner. Number one, breathe. If you don't, you'll suffocate. Number two, you have a soul. Be careful with it. Number three, don't be a turd. If you're strong, be a protector, and if you're smart, be a humble influencer. Strength and intelligence can be weapons, and do not wield them against the weak. That makes you a bully. Be bigger than that. Number five, doesn't matter what it is, earn it. A good deed, reach out to someone in pain, be of service, it feels good, and it's good for your soul. Number six, God is real. What's the best for you? Believe that. I do. Number eight, learn to pray. It's easy and it's so good for your soul. And finally, number nine, nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. You are imperfect. You always will be. But there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace and grace is a gift and like the freedom that we enjoy in this country that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood do not forget it don't take it for granted god bless you wow pretty good stuff huh well immediately once he shared those ideas there was pushback now with chris pratt they weren't able to cancel him per se but those ideas did not align with the projection that uh, people wanted to have out there. And so we see this happen a lot. Uh, this week we've seen uh, people peacefully protesting, yes, disrupting uh, movement and maybe beeping outside your house or whatever that kind of thing is. Uh, but then we saw a reaction of freezing bank accounts. And when I see that, that makes me a little nervous. I don't know about you because I don't want my millions frozen as you don't either, right? But, uh, you know, this whole idea of cancel culture, what do we do with it? Uh, when someone has a view different than others. Uh, we've seen this a little bit with uh, this gentleman. Uh, he's uh, been outspoken about his relationship with God. Uh, we've seen it with this couple that uh, they made some statements and then there's pushback. So what do we do with that? 
Uh, we even have seen it with this guy. Oh, I just showed his arm, not his whole body. Okay, here we go. This guy, he was a patriot for about five minutes, and uh, now he's uh, married, and this guy makes all kinds of statements, uh, Tim Tebow, and uh, then there is pushback. There's even some thought the reason he didn't continue on uh, in all the positions he might have been available or could have played was because of um, his stance. And then just even recently, uh, this week, and it kind of amazed me, uh, Jennifer says, and she is, was an executive for Levi Strauss, and if you follow the story this week, um, back in 2020, she had some concerns regarding uh, you know, kids not being in school, and I think we all have those concerns, and she, she voiced them, and then also about masks a little bit, and she voiced that just on her private account, and the head corporation wanted her to knock it off. And uh, it's interesting, they were grooming her at the same time to become CEO of all of Levi's. And uh, she, just, she just said, these are concerns of mine. And uh, this week we discovered that uh, she was basically shown the door and pushed out. And they really wanted her to accept a million dollar uh, severance pay package. Uh, within that would be that she wouldn't talk about why she was no longer at Levi's. And you go, wow, this stuff's crazy. And uh, this stuff's really bothersome. So what is going on with this cancel culture? And as we look at Esther chapter 3, we're going to see that tone in there. Uh, today we're going to just set the tone or set the pace with cancel culture. And then next week we're going to really get into the story. But I want you to read it and read it with eyes thinking about what we've just talked about, how we've just defined uh, cancel culture. So we're going to look at Esther chapter 3 verses 1 through 15. Uh, you can look along on the screen. You can look along on your uh, electronic device if you have a version or a Bible app. And also, uh, we do have a rack Bible. And you can use a rack Bible. The page number's up there. And if you happen not to have a paper Bible and you want one, or a modern translation, you want one, feel free to take that Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. So Esther chapter 3. Uh, but before we get there, we're going to set a little bit of a pace or set a little bit of a context uh, last time we saw that Mordecai had uh, stepped up and had warned the king through um, his, his adopted cousin daughter. And uh, we see this happening here in verse 22 of chapter 2. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And we also see that this was all documented and put down on paper uh, as a record. And then to our amazement, nothing really happened. Usually when you sell, uh, save the king's life or the president's life, you at least have a photo shoot or something where they want to shake hands with you. None of that happens. And then we jump into chapter 3, and this is interesting. After these events, all that, King Xerxes honored Haman. That doesn't sound right. Hamadeth, the son of Hamadeth, the Agiite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all the other nobles. So King Xerxes has his throne that's very high, and then there's some littler thrones around him, and this Haman gets a throne that's just the second, is the second highest throne to show the honor that uh, Xerxes had for him. We don't know why this all happens, but this is what's going on. All the royal officials at the king's gate, this is where business took place, knelt down and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. 
the royal officers at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? And we've seen this with Xerxes. He's very impulsive. If Xerxes found this out, uh, we'd think that maybe Mordecai could lose his life. So this is, a, this is a bold statement for Mordecai to make. And again, we'll get a little bit more into that next week. So we see him not taking a knee, and everybody else is, and it bothers some of the other uh, members of the staff of the king. Then we read on. Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. This starts to set him apart of everybody else. His culture is different because he is Jewish. And that's why he's not taking any. Well, again, we'll take a little bit more look at that next week. So, again, this is going on. And then we see when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the kingdom of Xerxes. So he's trying to figure out this, not just to deal with Mordecai, but he's decided this whole group of people, the way they think, the way they act, the way they fit into the kingdom, they're going to be taken out. We've got to figure out a way to do that. Being a little superstitious or a lot superstitious, in the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month of Nisan, the purr, that is the lot, were cast in the presence of Haman to select a day in a month. And the lot fell on the 12th month, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there, listen to this, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all of the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the best interest to tolerate them. This is cancel culture 2,500 years ago. And so this is going on. We don't like them. They, you know, and earlier we'd see that they're not really doing anything bad. They're not disrupting society. But Hammond is pushing this narrative. And we're going to find that the king goes right along. He says, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. You have to remember, King Xerxes has gone to Greece, tried to take them over, has lost miserably. They're thinking that he doesn't have a lot of money anymore, so having more money would be great for him. This amount is probably three-quarters of what it took to run the kingdom from year to year, so this is a significant amount of money. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Hanan, son of Hamadeth, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king says to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Then on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out the script for each province and in each language of each people of all Hanan's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of various provinces and the nobles of the various people. These were written in the name of the king, Xerxes himself, and sealed with his own ring. Again, this was a now a law, a policy that you could not turn back from, just like with Queen Vashi. We see the king just not doing much research, not thinking things out, just moving 
on what someone else is saying is going on. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's province with the orders to destroy, kill, annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued in the law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. And then I love the way Eugene Peterson renders, translates, paraphrases verse 15. At the king's command, the couriers took off. They were dispatched. The order was also posted in the palace complex of Susa. The king and Hammond then sat back and had a drink while the city of Susa reeled from the news. I can just imagine that when people are trying to cancel other people and they think they've got their their plan in motion, they've got it happening, they sit back and enjoy a great adult beverage and just watch it happen, the craziness. And it's interesting, it doesn't say the Jews in Susa reeled, it says the whole city reeled. The whole city was in trouble. So as we look at this idea of cancel culture, and we look at it, we have to start to take a little bit of an inventory, what it means, what it looks like, uh, what's going on. And, uh, you know, as we think about how do we respond to this, uh, we need to think about there's got to be a good way of responding to this. Um, and uh, what do we do with it? Now here, this might get me canceled when I make this next statement, uh, but it, it bothers me, and I've tried to figure out a way to articulate it, and I came across some articles, and this is what I uh, looked at and came up with this, is that Christian culture perfected cancel culture, and now it's coming for us. Listen to that. Hear the weight of that. We perfected it. We enacted. We did this to other people in the name of God, and now it's coming for us. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be able to have our values, our Christian way of life. It doesn't mean any of those things. It doesn't mean we should point to those ways. But there's a balance to valuing all human beings and at the same time not affirming their way of life, their values, their behavior. And if you go back in history way back, we as Christ Christians were excellent at perfecting cancel culture. And there's something wrong about that. I just went back and thought about some of the things that, you know, I've seen happen. I, I can remember in the late 90s where the Southern Baptist Convention boycotted Walt Disney World because they said it was too gay friendly. And I'm, I'm not uh, saying, uh, you know, that view of life is right. I think God has a preferred will for a man and a woman and all of that. But uh, to boister all this energy to uh, boycott and cancel Disney because you don't agree with them. They're not a Christian company. You shouldn't expect them to act like Christ followers. So what do you do again? There's got to be a better way. Boycotting and marching around, I don't know if that actually turned that many people to look at, oh, I think I want to follow Christ. I don't know. I remember way back in the day, Jerry Falwell Sr., uh, founder of Moral Majority, famously led to boycott the Teletubbies. Remember that? A children's television program because he got inkling that 
twinkly winkly his character was covertly gay now whether that's true or not just don't turn it on just don't turn it on but to, to rally everyone around pbs isn't a christian company you don't shouldn't expect non-christ followers to follow christ on the other hand i do accept christ followers to follow christ so let that sink in a little bit so as we start to think about this and we think about uh, perfecting it and it's coming for us here's another thought this comes from uh, john Merritt. he writes a great article on this evangelicals tried their level best to smear and shame any person or organization who didn't behave or believe appropriately in order to forcibly craft a society according to their Christian values. Key word in there is forcibly. I don't know about you, but I haven't had Christ force me to do anything. He offers himself, but he doesn't push himself on any person. He leaves that up to you. Yes, there'll be a reckoning for that, saying no to him versus saying yes to him. But trying to create a Christian culture without having Christ in your heart is pretty empty. It's pretty empty. That means people like act like Christians, look like Christians, but when eternity comes, they won't be with God. Doesn't make sense. Why do that? So again, forcibly doing this, uh, that, that is a form of this idea of cancellation and cancellation culture. So as Christians, there's got to be a better way. And I'm wrestling with this. I don't have all the answers for this. But there's got to be a way to say my faith, my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we just sang about it, has me thinking and living this way. And I want other people to consider it as a possibility. I want other people to say, yeah, you know what? I want that in my life. I want that peace in my life. I don't want to shut people down, shame people, so that their ears just go click every time they see me coming. I want to have an open dialogue. So there's got to be a better way. So what does a cancellation culture look like? As we apply it to our faith, as we apply it to being a Christ follower. This isn't in your notes, but uh, Zechariah 4.6 reads this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We need God to be working. It's not us just crafting all these kinds of things and making things happen and, and pushing, pushing, pushing. It doesn't mean we should be silent, but there's got to be a better way to communicate that. We don't use the same tools and methods and ways that someone who doesn't know God, who's, who's not following God uses. We function by God working in our life, that he changes hearts one heart at a time. And some of the things that we as Christ followers would like to see people not participate in, not to do, as hearts are changed, behavior changes, doesn't it? I hope you as a Christ follower go, I am going to change my behavior. So we want to see heart by heart changing. Um, I'm all for laws. I'm all for those kinds of things. But legislating morality so you and I as Christians feel more comfortable in our culture, but we still have a culture that's going into a Christless eternity, is not the winning game plan. It might make my life a little easier. 
my eternity is all set in, set in stone. I believe once you've said yes to Christ and this body collapses and goes away, you go to be with the Lord or he comes back first, sooner. So I'm all set. If you've said yes to Christ, you're all set. But I, I, I want society to experience Christ. I don't want to create a cultural Christian state. I want a real Christian heart, one heart at a time. And then demand for things and all this stuff, that all starts changing. So, cancellation culture contains some of these things. First of all, uh, cancel culture is impulsive. Something happens and it just reacts rather than responds, rather than thinking it out. I, I don't know about you, but every time I react to something, I usually get myself into trouble. I need to slow down and I need to respond and think through, how do I, what do I do about this? How do I do, respond in such a way that it actually opens up someone's eyes to the possibility that there is a better way? There's another way. There's a way to have a personal God be involved in their everyday life, and there's a way that that relationship can usher them into eternity. That's what I want. That's what I want for the people that I know haven't said yes to Christ yet. I want one heart at a time. We read in Proverbs, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Where are we walking? Where are we doing? Maybe, maybe, maybe the extreme cancel culture that bothers us so much, that bothers me, sometimes makes me awake at night, Maybe they learned that from the way we've responded in the past. Because that's what we responded with when we had all the influence, all the power, if you will, as we made people act a certain way. It was external, not internal. And external only goes so far. I shared with this before, when it comes to our kids, our greatest fear was that they learned how to walk the Christian talk in our household because they knew they'd be in trouble if they didn't act the right way. But then once they graduated from high school, graduated from college, they would just go their own way. They'd be out of the house, and now they would do what they wanted to do. And all along, they were just kind of like, you know, kind of just holding it all in. And they couldn't wait to be free from our home. Fortunately, we haven't seen that happen yet. But I was very concerned with it. I didn't think that was an automatic thing. So again, we want internal, not just external. Begins on the inside and works its way out. Ecclesiastes, don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. Don't be too quick to tell God what you think he wants to hear. God's in charge, not you. The less you speak, the better. Sometimes we shoot our mouths off before we think. We tell God what he ought to do in these situations. But God is in charge. Yes, we need to point to, stand up, communicate what's important to us as Christ followers. But we need to make sure we do it in such a way that we gain an audience. Uh, Chris Pratt, when he said all those new generation kids were listening. And again, every other one was one to bring them back in. They were serious, then they were silly. Serious, then they were silly. He could have just done five, but he thought, how do I get these kids at the MTV Awards show to listen to what I'm saying? And that's the way he did it. 
And you and I, as Christ followers, you and I have said, yes, we knew who he was talking about when he talked about blood and grace and, and all of that. We understood that. But he said it in such a way that if a, if, a, if a kid was thinking about it, that caused them to lean in rather than to be repulsed. Lean in rather than be repulsed. This doesn't mean we compromise, but we need to think through what we're going to say and how we're going to say it and what our response is. Cancel culture is spiteful. A lot of times, they're ticked off. They don't... Someone doesn't like being told something, and now they want to get back at the person, at the culture they don't like. They want to counsel your, cancel your culture. Well, that is somewhat similar to what we've done in the past. Is we're angry, we don't like it, and we're mad at them because we don't want to be exposed to that. We don't like it. And so we respond, let's get them, let's, let's go tit for tat, let's, let's just rock it up, let's, you, let's do what they're doing, let's just be more calculated, let's be smarter about it. Let's not think about, not by might, but by your spirit. Let's just, let's see how we can mix it up with that. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not to put them down, not to cut them out, not to shut them down. We want to keep their heart open as much as possible. Again, we're not compromising. We're not saying that, you know, there's lots of ways to heaven. There's, we're not saying that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, there's no heaven in hell. We're not, we're not saying that Christ is the only, but But we want to say it in such a way that people actually listen. But cancel culture is spiteful. And sometimes even in my own life, I've seen something and I want to hit them back in a sense. That's so non-Christ. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do when Peter pulls off and cuts the ear of one of the guys who wants to arrest him? Heals the guy. Aren't we happy Peter didn't rule the day? Then we wouldn't have a Savior who died on the cross for our sins. We wouldn't have that person because there would have been a little bit, hey, fight, and they would have pushed off the people arresting, and Jesus would have been ushered to a safe part of town, and Maybe they start this revolution and bang, bang, bang. But then we would not have a savior. So again, spiteful, watching out for that. Uh, Stephen, the first martyr, same thing. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He doesn't pull out his sidearm and blow everyone away that's trying to kill him. Doesn't do that. There's a time maybe for that, but it wasn't in Joseph. I mean, in, in Stephen's uh, time. But I say to you, people who are listening to me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, ask God to bless the people who ask for bad things to happen to you, pray for the people who are mean to you. That's exactly the opposite of being spiteful, retaliation, wanting to revenge, and all those kinds of things. Just think what would have happened when Jim Elliott and his friends gave their life. Some of us are familiar with that. Back in the late 50s, they go into this Amazon area, and they're trying to point to Christ, and all five of them are murdered. Just think what would have happened if all of a sudden after that, the army came in and just, just decimated the tribe because of what they did. Or, again, imagine if they all had guns and just started you know, shooting all the, uh, the, the natives. The story that we know today would not exist. And those people, many of them, probably would not have said yes to Christ. Pray for the people who are mean to you. And I would add a little parenthesis, and mean it. 
and meaning. Another one, cancellation culture is judgmental. We're being judgmental, we're condemning. We see that all, someone's judging you for having values and they want to they cancel you. Well, we can be the same way. Jesus himself says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And that, that, doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean calling a spade a spade. It doesn't mean evaluating. You have to evaluate and make judgment calls all the time. The idea here is the tone, judgmental because I am better and you are not. You're bad, I'm good. That kind of thing. Cancel culture is very judgmental. We watch the evening news and we see it all the time. Don't pick on people like the way uh, Eugene Peterson expands this with application. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Chris Pratt said what? He said, you're imperfect. And knowing that opens the door for grace into your life. All of us, before we say yes to Jesus, need to see our sin, see our disobedience, see our selfishness. And then we see that and we say, wow, I need grace. Last week we talked about the heart, wicked, but God searches the heart. We need grace. And in a sense, we need to be conduits of grace to a world that is graceless. Just watch how quickly they throw someone under the bus. It seems like it's because of a cause, but so often it's because they want to elevate their, their stature, their influence in whatever circle they're traveling. So they immediately throw someone under the bus, and they don't know all the facts. Um, again, that whole idea of being impulsive. Number four, cancel culture is unforgiving. Unforgiving. I, 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 I don't love these, but it's kind of crazy when, when you see these people coming up with stories from like 20 years ago. The person's like uh, 35, and you know when they were 15, uh, they said something, and now it's out in the open, and they're just cutting that person out. Please, if you could have a recording of all my days up to 15, I would be in trouble. If you, could, if, you could, if you could have a little snippet and take it out and put it on, the, it would just be terrible. I think all of us have that in our past. There's something that we regret being out in the open. We all have it. We've all wanted forgiveness for us, but we've wanted retaliation for somebody else. Cancel culture is unforgiving. And as Christ followers... Love is expressed through forgiving others. Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Forgive others because the Lord forgave you. You see, we march to the beat of a different drummer as Christians. We're not cancel culture. We're not that way. We don't want to cancel a person. We want to figure out there's got to be a better way to get the message of Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel, out to the worlds we live in. And having that kind of cancel culture attitude, I don't think it does it. 
You might get somebody to comply for a little while, but eventually, because the heart is not owned, they throw it off. So what kind of culture are we as Christians to create? And again, the backstory. You, re- you heard that, uh, you know, Hammond talks about, you know, not liking the Jews. You know, they, don't, they do things differently, wants them out, and he wants to cancel them. And sometimes in our own lives, if we were honest with us, there are probably people we would like to cancel. If we had our way and no one knew it, God didn't know it, if we could just kind of like go, and that person was gone, never existed, we go, yeah, I, I've got a couple of those people on my list. But that's not the culture of a Christ follower. See, for us that have said yes to Christ, it's a restoration culture. It's a restoration culture versus a cancellation culture. Larry Osborne lists six things that are supposed to be a part of the Christ follower experience, the way we live, the way we think. And I love this first one here is Jesus came to cancel sin, not people. So as Christ follows, if we can't live that way, how do we expect the unbelieving world to live that way? Why would we expect it? Why would we even think they would act that way? Of course they're going to act that way. We need to show them another way, a better way. Most of us are familiar with John 3.16, and we've forgotten John 3.17. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Some of us like that accusing finger pointing at somebody else but not us. He didn't come for that. He came to forgive us, not to cancel us. Yes, to cancel our sin, but not us as a person. Jesus calls us to be recruiters, not prosecutors or judges. Recruiters. How do you not water down the truth of the good news and cause it to be communicated in a cultural way that is attractive to your neighbor, the person you work with? How do you do that? How do you think that through? That's a recruiter, not a prosecutor. You're bad and wiggling your finger out. Kids, don't hang out with Johnny's family because they're... Or judging them. Put your energy into recruiting, not prosecuting or judging. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself because friends... Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Don't we believe that Jesus has already got his hand extended? And he's just waiting for someone to grab a hold of the other hand. Jesus doesn't even have to extend his hand. It's already out. We look at the prodigal prodigal son, the parable of that. And the, the father is looking down the road for his son to come back. He's not in his house looking in a different direction. He's looking in that direction. So we as Christ followers need to be recruiting. We need to be looking in that direction. You and I need to figure out how we order that kind of recruiting kind of lifestyle into our life. We need to wrestle with it. We need to spend more time on that than figuring out the latest phone you got. Some of us spend more time figuring out our phone than we do figuring out how we can be a recruiter for the faith rather than a judger. 
Jesus died for his enemies. All he asks is that we love our enemies. See the difference there? Jesus dies for his enemies. He asks us to love them. You've heard it heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who give you a hard time. Most of us are not living in circumstances I would call our persecution. We do have people that give us a hard time because of our faith. Do you pray for those? Do you pray for them in like nice prayers? Oh, I wish something bad would happen to them. How are you praying for them? Forgiveness is not an extra credit option. Let that sink in. Love how Larry Osborne says it. It's, it's not an extra credit option. It's not like, oh, well, I got some choice about that. I'll be being a really good Christian if, if, I, if I forgive the person. No, you're supposed to forgive the person. There's some idea that the way God our Father interacts with us is affected the way we forgive others. Because he forgave us. He expects the same thing to happen in our lives. And that's exactly what my Father in Heaven is going to do to each of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Unbelievable, mind-blowing, a forgiveness. It's not extra credits. It's a story about the two servants. One owes his master zillions of dollars and begs for forgiveness, and the master grants him the forgiveness. Then the, ma- then, the other, then the servant turns around and demands the $10 that, that, other, that another servant owes him and throws him into jail. There's no mercy there. Calls us to be forgiving. It's bad enough when I, won't, when I won't forgive someone for what they did to me. It's even worse, it's ridiculous, when I won't forgive someone for what I think they did to somebody else. A lot of times, sometimes all our information is is second, third, fourth hand, and we get all fired up, and we don't really don't know the whole story. Almost reminds me of uh, King Xerxes not checking out what these Jewish people are about in his kingdom. He just listens to him, and all of a sudden there's an edict, and they're going to take them all out. Doesn't seem to be any investigation there. So it's called to uh, forgive and not hold grudges, especially for those that haven't even entered into our sphere of life, and we're just mad at them. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of this. And we're very happy when that's applied to our life, right? Aren't we happy that that God's going to do the judging in our life? He'll take care of it? Aren't we happy that he's going to exercise that with grace and forgiveness? But then there's that other person that we don't want them to have the same grace and forgiveness we've had. Number six, no one is too broken to be redeemed. And I don't even know what your personal background is. But this morning, wherever you're at, there's hope because none of us are too broken to be redeemed, bought back, forgiven, to have a relationship with God. None of us are. There's no unforgivable sin except one, and that's the idea of ignoring the Holy Spirit, blasphemy him. 
And so every sin is forgivable except saying no to God, no to the Holy Spirit working in your life, and boxing him out because then you're not going to say yes to him. So as we pull this all together, we try to pull this together, and we think of cancel culture, and we watch the news, and we are so upset. I'm bothered. I, again, when I, when I saw in Canada that they were, you know, uh, freezing people's bank accounts, I mean, that really is, that's playing hardball. And I see all that. I go, what is my response? My response is, well, I want to freeze someone's bank accounts on the other side. Let's see how they like it. No, no, no. That's playing their game. We need to find a better way expressing Jesus' love, not being canceling somebody else because we don't want to be canceled. You know, we've really been upset when we see some of our leaders uh, uh, upholding certain rules and regulations and then them not doing it themselves. We can't stand the injustice of that. Well, that's the same kind of thing we're doing when we want to cancel someone else rather than restore someone else. It's the same kind of thing. You know, we might think uh, cancellation for thee, but not for me. Or we might think mass for thee, but not for me. That makes us mad. But what about, what about restoration? What about writing somebody off? trying to figure out the better way. The value of a person can be communicated without affirming a view or behavior. You can actually affirm, the, or you can actually, uh, you know, value a person. You can say their soul has worth. Their life has worth. I'm not going to adopt their lifestyle. I'm not going to do it their way, but they have Worth, and I'm going to live in such a way that they might get a glimpse of that. That's when we switch from cancellation to restoration. That's when we hope that happens in our own lives, but we're definitely going to not live the other way in somebody else's life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for our time together. This is hard stuff. There are so many things we could, we could talk about, each one of those principles in a message of its own. I ask that your spirit would do his work in our hearts. We open our hearts to you. We want you to change us from the inside out. I ask if there's anybody here who has never said yes to you, then in these moments it's say, God, I want you to part of my life. I'm thankful for the gift of your son. I thank you that he died for my sins my trespasses, my self-centeredness, and I now want to follow you. I want a new operating system for my life, a new rhythm for my life. And I just ask that even now, as they're sitting in this room or watching online, that they would make that decision if they haven't done it yet. And for then those of us who have known you or have known you for a long time, may we be a people of restoration, not condemnation, not cancellation. May we learn that there's a better way to uh, push back with love and kindness rather than the same energy that we're being pushed, same tactics. Help us to live better lives that make people wonder there must be something weird about this faith. Help us, God, we know people in our lives, we have faces of people in our hearts that 
that don't know you yet. So help us to show those a better way, we pray. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks.